half-sister Hine lived with her other grandparents and her Māori whānau in Ohakune, but she loved to come and stay with us in Taupo in the school holidays. That's where we live with Granny, my dad and mum, and me and our baby Katie. We liked looking at the videos about when we were all little, especially the ones about Hine when she was little. Sometimes Hine used the remote control to stop and ask Granny questions. One day she stopped the video of her in hospital when she was a baby. What were those things on my feet for? They're called calipers and they kept your feet straight, otherwise they'd have turned inwards, Granny said. What's that thing in Henny's head? asked Katie. It's a shunt to pump the fluid away. Watery stuff kept building up in her head. Katie leaned on Henny. Why were you in hospital when you were a baby, Henny? Because I'm Spina Bifida, of course. That was the first time we heard about Spina Bifida. Granny explained that Henny was born with an opening in her back where the skin had not grown over properly and that Henny had had to have operations and plastic surgery to close over the hole when she was just a tiny baby. Henny turned around and showed us the purply red scar and the dent at the bottom of her back. That's why I can't walk, Henny said. That's why I have to use these, my tokotoko. She drummed her walking sticks on the ground, pretending to be grumpy. I want some tokotokos, said Katie. Henny let her try them, but they were too big and Katie kept falling over. Every holidays we went swimming in the hot pools. I liked to hold onto the pipe at the side of the baths with Henny and we'd go round and round the pool together. You know what, Ruby? Henny said to me. When I'm in the water, I can walk properly. Those holidays it was special because it was Henny's birthday. She turned nine. Henny and I made the cake. Henny iced it and made a clock on top. I stuck on nine candles, evenly, three in each row. Henny said Katie could decorate the sides with Smarties. She put them on all crooked, but Henny said it didn't matter. Then Dad came in and told us the big surprise. Guess we were going for Henny's birthday party. Where? Up the mountain. Yay! Granny packed us all in the car with the cake and off we went. We had heaps of fun tobogganing on the two-door ski field. Then we made a snowman and gave him Grand's scarf and Dad's hat to wear. We ate Henny's cake and drank raspberry drink in the snow, even dribbling some raspberry into the snowman's mouth. When our gloves got so wet that our hands started to feel cold and wouldn't come warm again, Dad said we had to go home. Along the desert road, we saw a beautiful rainbow spread across the goldy tussock, and when we drove into Topol, the light of the moon was pouring over our lake like milk. I've seen my two favourite things today, Henny said. A rainbow and now the full moon. That night, when we were nearly going to sleep, Henny whispered to me in the darkness, Today has been the best day of my life. The next day was the end of the holidays and Henny went home. Katie and I always cried when Granny took Henny home. Henny cried too, even though she loved her other family as well, especially her papa and Nana Lay. Then suddenly, it's another day. 
A bad day. A terrible day. It's early in the morning. There's a grey light in my room. I have been woken up by the phone in the hall ringing and ringing. I hear Granny answer it. Then I hear Granny scream out for Dad. I run into the hall. So does Dad. What's wrong? What's wrong? Granny is holding the phone away from her face. She's crying and crying and not breathing properly and nearly falling over. Dad grabs the phone off her. I hold on to her to try and help her stand up. She's gone, says Granny. Her knee's gone. It doesn't sound like Gran's voice. The words are raggedy. Hene, she's dead. She died in her sleep this morning. Then everyone is crying, rushing, breathing loudly, staring over my head. I follow Granny, holding onto her cardigan pocket. She packs photos of Hene into a box. Photos, photos, photos. I run and get white bear for her. She hugs me and cries on top of my hair. We're going to Hine. I'm glad. I thought Hine had gone, but she hasn't. We're going to see her. Granny picks hundreds of flowers from the garden, all the time crying, crying. All the grown-ups are dressed in black clothes. We get into the car without talking. Even Katie just stares. I sit by Granny in the back. I'm squashed, but I don't mind. I hold Granny's hand, the one without the hanky. Where will we find Hinny? What is dead? Soon we'll know. I listen to the sound of the tyres as we drive along the desert road. I keep my eyes closed, thinking of that other time. But Granny nudges me. Look. And there it is again, the rainbow, stretching right across the mountains, Ruapihu, Tongarero, Ngaruhoi. Hine's rainbow. My grandmother can smile and cry at the same time, like rain and sunshine together. Everywhere in Ohakune, people are crying and having cups of tea and hugging each other. I keep holding on to Granny by her purse. Sometimes I nearly get crushed, but people look down just in time and say, "Sorry." Hene didn't tell me there were so many people in her fano. That must be why she keeps saying our place is as quiet as a mouse. At dark time, we are told it is time to go to the mud eye. Everyone leaves their cars down the road, and we all go and wait just outside the gate. Hene comes. In a white wooden box with shiny handles, Granny tells me about it. How it's called a coffin. It is carried by Hine's big boy cousins. They walk quietly, looking down so as not to disturb Hine. Granny talks softly into my ear with words that sound unreal. Here on the mud eye, Hine is a very special person, a puhi, a child who was blessed. Then, from inside the mud eye, a woman's voice rings out, wailing, throwing sadness and strongness into the air all around. 
That's the karanga, Granny says, to call Hine onto the marae. We walk slowly behind the cousins who are carrying Hine. They stop by a special mat and lay Hine on it. Hine's auntie tells Granny it is to whakatapu Hine, to make her one with the marae. That means to join her to the marae. Suddenly, out of the darkness comes the sound of war. I scream and have to smother the sound of it in Granny's coat. Shh! Look, darling. Hine's uncles. Their haka is for Hine. The uncles, not like ordinary uncles, but like warriors, thunder around us, around Hine, their voices booming, their feet and hands thudding, each one with a taiaha slashing the air. Then they step backwards, hissing into the darkness. One by one, old people speak to Hine in Māori. Hine's auntie tells us the elders are saying it is right that Hine is on the marae. And now, she says, they are taking her into the whare the marquee. There are many women dressed in black waiting in the whare They wear maimai, green leaves, in their hair. The leaves, says Hine's auntie, are Tane's symbol of life. We go to Hine's coffin in the whare Hine is lying in it. At last I see her, I see her. Her face is sound asleep. Her full name is on a shiny flat piece of silver on the end of her coffin. Hine Waipare Candice Lim Yok Marekura. We are allowed to stay near her, to touch her, to talk to her, to put our photographs around her with all the other photographs of Hine's Māori ancestors, her tūpuna. Our photographs show her ancestors from Granny's and Dad's side, some Māori, some Pākehā, some Chinese. I touch the old, old kiwi feathers on the cloak that is on Hine's coffin. I give white bear to Hine. Daddy places a special bone carving he has made on Hine's chest. Granny arranges flowers all around her. I write two notes and fold them up small and put them into Hine's hands. Her hands look the same, but they feel cold. Then a crying comes towards us, and it is Sophie, Hine's mother. Oh, my baby. What happened to my baby? Everyone puts their arms around her or just keeps petting her with their hands. She can't talk. She just shakes and shakes. All night we sit there with Hine. It is a cold night. We are wrapped up in coats and blankets. The gas heaters roar. Candles flicker all around us. We listen to songs and talking about Hine. I didn't know so many people loved my sister the same as us. When the talking and the singing stop... We cuddle up together and sleep. Next morning, everyone washes their hands in buckets of icy cold water and after we are showered and dressed, we have breakfast in the farikai. Just the family. More and more people keep coming and coming onto the marae to see our hine to say goodbye. I like to hear people tell things about hine about how she could sing some of the ancient waiata that the old aunties had taught her, 
and how she always seemed to understand how things should be done. The Māori way, the Aroha way, the Rangatira way, Hines Papa says to me. That's why she was a puhi, and that's why her uncles are going to do a special ceremony for her tomorrow after prayers. You watch with me, dear, and you learn, just like your sister, okay? I'll teach you. I am so tired in the whare mate this night. I want to sleep, but at first I don't want to leave Hine. And there's something I want to find out, but I feel too shy to ask about it. I can't see Hine's legs. Are they there with her, her legs that can't work properly? When no one else is watching, I pat Hine's papa on the back until he looks around at me. Can I see Hine's legs? He smiles and nods and pulls back the cloth that is covering Hine. And I see that she has her red tartan skirt on and her white lace tights and some new black shiny shoes, the sort you wear to parties. I look at Hine's face again and know why she looks so pleased. It's because at last she is wearing some proper shoes. Our big whānau all sleep together again on Hine's last night with us. Before midnight, her coffin is closed, but I am sound asleep and don't wake up until dawn. <laughs> 